Welcome or welcome back to the Higher Career Podcast, everyone. The podcast full of wicked stories from the job market and experts showing us how to succeed in it. Now, normally the show is run with the ever so graceful Nikki Simmons, who, however, is still on maternity leave. So it will just be myself and our amazing, amazing guest for this episode, Barb Garrison from Internal Groove. Now, this episode is all about these taboo hot topics, buzzwords that have a shockingly large effect on our perceived reality at work, whether we are an entrepreneur or an employee. I am talking burnout, I am talking toxic culture, I am talking terrible managers, and I am talking what do you do if you find yourself surrounded by any of these. So without further ado, people, here's Bob Garrison for us. Let's go get it. We've got Barb in the virtual studio to talk about a really, really underappreciated topic that I'm sure all of us have felt at one point or another in our career. So, Barb, thank you so much for joining. I'm super thrilled to have you on the show. And normally we would ask our our, um, guests to bring their elevator pitch with them up some tall building, but we just uh, spoke and you have lots of tall mountains in Colorado where you're at. So let's imagine that there's an elevator going up it. Uh, So you're riding on the elevator and you're presenting yourself to whomever you choose. Off you go. <laughs> yeah, so rock climbing and uh, climbing the mountain is common around here. I, I'm outside of Boulder, Colorado. So mm. what I specialize in is helping burned out success-driven professionals design careers that make them leap out of bed even on Monday mornings. So mm. what that's really about is getting paid to do you and to really create an ultimate environment that fits for all the nuances of who you are. And that's not just skills and talents, but also your values, your essence, your personality, your communication style, your learning style, all of those things. And then we dig down even deeper into some of the things that challenge people within those areas. And I work with um, executives as well as entrepreneurs and even what I call secret entrepreneurs, people who are in corporate positions, but secretly would like to start their own businesses. So my company is called Internal Groove. And, you know, to me, that's really about what it feels like to really be in your own rhythm in alignment with what truly works for you, which is not always an easy journey, but we can take responsibility for uh, creating that. That sounds delightful. Now I'm even more pleased to have you on the show. This is awesome. Especially because you've touched on a couple of elements that I'm sure most of our audience members can uh, relate to, which is the idea of, A, being stuck in a job that doesn't make you feel like you want to go out of bed, especially on a Monday morning. Although I have to confess that I love a Monday. I hate a Thursday, but we talk about that another time. <laughs> and also that most of us have this dream and this idea of something greater that we might pursue. But oftentimes we're so bogged down in our day to day. We're just so drained of energy from being 
where we shouldn't be or sitting in our office chair in a position that we shouldn't be sitting in, meaning the projects aren't right. We're not using, we're not being used for what we're really talented in doing. So let's attack all of these things today. Um, but I need to confess something, Barb. Nikki and I have a pet peeve with what we would call buzzwords or guru speak that we see on social media all of the time at the moment. Toxic culture, fear, burnout, mindfulness. Um, and nobody really goes the extra mile to actually inspect them and see what they mean. And so they are personal and context dependent, which of course makes our first question extra sneaky to answer. This episode has all three of these items. So toxic culture, fear and burnout. Um, so we can't help but wanting to explore them first. Let's start with toxic culture at the workplace, Barb. To uh, your mind and based on your experience, how would you define it in a way that could resonate with our audience? Well, you will be surprised, but I'm actually with you and Nikki in terms of toxic culture <laughs> being a buzzword. <laughs> I think it gets thrown around way too often and, and overused because it immediately puts the professional in the place of being a victim. And, you know, as soon as we start standing in the place of being a victim, we're now blaming others and we've completely given away our power. We're, we're standing in this place of pointing our fingers at somebody else like it's them, it's the culture, it's something that's happening. And the truth is every culture has good people and many cultures have people that, you know, need to learn some skills and need to grow in a certain way. But I don't believe there's such a thing as like 100% toxic culture or 0% toxic culture. I think it's something that's easy for us to fall back on that um, allows us to sort of abdicate, you know, our ability to create our own reality and to design things that work for us and speak our mind and have conversations and collaborate. And so I, I, I don't really even believe in the concept, n not to mention defining it. A strong answer. Good stuff. Good stuff. <laughs> um, this is sort of the point that we want to get to as well. It is, as most language is, it is our attempt to grasp and convey to others something that is very emotionally felt and as such is always going to fall short of the actual experience or can do harm because it is disempowering. And I was talking to a client of mine about this recently who put out an article that said, in power, yes. Empowerment, no thanks. And she was talking <laughs> specifically about, um, about gender balance and equity uh, at the workplace. And she said, don't sit around and wait. You know, obviously the established you know, powers that be, corporate leadership, the human resource department, they have a role to play. But we have much more power than we think, which is something we advocate on the show um, for on the show as well. Next question, however, is uh, another word that we mentioned in the beginning and that is also in the title of this episode, which is fear. Now, fear is another one of these buzzy terms. Fear is the enemy. Fear is something induced by others versus um, fear you create based on assumptions that you may actually hold about yourself. So what do you think uh, of fear and assumptions um, about self and how do they come about and how might they manifest as a hurdle in career development? 
Well, you know, to me, fear is a really, really, really broad term. So, you know, it's easy for us to label things as fear. Oh, I have a fear about this. I, I like to remind my clients the, the adage, which I, I didn't create, but that fear mm. stands for false evidence appearing real, F-E-A-R. <laughs> And I say that because we do often make up what we're experiencing and we, we label it as fear. But I think it's important to look a little deeper. Like mm. I'll give you one great example is it's often that we say we're nervous or fearful or anxious about something. But it turns out if you really dig a little deeper, you actually find out there's some percentage of the way you're feeling that's excitement. Mm. Because fear and excitement feel biologically the same in our body, you know, our fingers get wiggly, maybe a little perspiration, we get a little stomach butterflies. Those are the same exact physiological manifestations of fear as well as excitement. Mm -hmm. And so when I work with my clients, I will, when I know they're excited about making a big move or having a conversation or um, taking some kind of new project on, I'll say to them, what percentage of what you're feeling is actually excitement? So you ask yourself mm -hmm. the excitement question first. If you think of it as 100% pie, what percentage of that pie is excitement? And what I find is so often there's a much bigger piece of the pie that's excitement than people have acknowledged. And what we do is we sort of glue together excitement and fear, and then we just call it fear because it, it's it's easy to label it that way, given what we're feeling physiologically in our body. So that's just one example of where you know fear can be a, a complex. Um, it can be a complex issue depending on what's actually happening. This is very much in line with what we've heard in the past, especially from one of our guests who is a psychotherapist, um, who mentioned, and I've realized this for myself as well, is that. Back in the day, fear used to be a really useful emotion. There would be a rustling in the bushes next to the cave. Chances were it's some wild beast and you should probably go and hide. But nowadays, it's slightly shifted because what it signals, and that's why it's so close to excitement, is something that might be high stakes, something that is risky. Mm -hmm. But as all yes. the best things in the world, it might also be high reward, high payoff, worthy of pursuit. So second term, expertly described so pleased that you're in agreement um but lastly the dreaded burnout so based on conversations with lots of friends and colleagues the assumption is that burnout has to do with the volume of work that we are given but to my mind it has more to do with um lacking self-management the unwillingness to set boundaries and as a very wise friend and former burnout sufferer enlightened me it has to do with how you perceive the work that you do. So what is burnout to you, though, Barb? And what does it have to do with toxic culture or fear or assumptions? Or does it stand alone? Or is it just one big soup of sadness? <laughs> well, I, I too agree that it's really a lack of taking care of ourselves. I use that term self-management because, you know, 
people think that taking care of themselves is about, you know, going on vacation twice a year or um, getting enough massages, things like that. I, those are great things and I'm not against those. However, I think the biggest piece of taking care of ourselves has to do with the way we speak to ourselves inside of our own head. You know, Mm. the things that we say to ourselves, the things that we hold to be true about us that may not actually be facts, or we bring things from, you know, the distant past into, you know, our current situation. So I, I see, you know, taking care of ourselves as really about being very conscious of our mental and emotional habits. Um, This is a place that I see people get so tripped up and that takes so much energy to manage when we're attacking ourselves with language, when we are focusing on what other people have done to us, putting ourselves in the role of victim, as I've mentioned before. All of this, these are habits that take up so much energy Mm. and so much bandwidth. And I think that actually really gets in the way of of our productivity and the amount of work that we can do. So I actually, in my experience, I've been working with a lot of people in in burnout situations. As you know, that's one of my expertise. And by the way, I am someone who was there 20 years ago. Mm. um, And I learned a lot along the way about how much of a role I played in my own burnout. And this is something that sort of changes the perspective on what burnout really is about. It's not something someone does to you. It, it's really where you aren't managing your own needs. The reason why I've asked you these questions to begin with is because the majority of this episode, we want to focus on solution, on prevention. But in order to do this, we need to establish mutual and shared language to beginning. I'm a communications person, so obviously this is very important to me. I just mentioned prevention, and to me, prevention is recognition, and it is also taking action. So you can't really address a problem without understanding its nature, the context in which it takes place, and the players that are perpetuating this problem, including oneself. But that sounds like a very academic and head-heavy exercise. However, in our pre-chat, you mentioned a brilliant term that has really stuck in my mind. You said that sometimes you just feel that something gives you the wiggles or the wigglies. Um, (laughs) So what do you mean by that exactly? And how might our audience sort of vet their internal and external world um, to get a sense for what's cooking? And obviously examples would be marvelous. Yeah, so I think of the wiggles as, um, this is actually a very strange metaphor, but it's standing in jello. I, I assume that's an international brand. All of your listeners will know what this is. Yeah, so if you imagine yourself, you know, with your with your pants rolled up and you're barefoot and you're standing in a bunch of jello, right? It's it's cold and it's wiggly and it's a bit uncomfortable. But the truth is, jello will never kill you. Jello will not be the end of your career. And so sometimes what we need to remind ourselves is just to stand in the jello. And what I mean by that is recognize recognizing that sometimes our most proud accomplishments actually start as something that sort of gives us the wiggles, like it makes us a little uncomfortable. It's stretching a little farther than we've ever stretched before or doing something that feels a little bit risky. And I'm not talking about, you know, um, anything that's unprofessional. I'm just talking about, you know, reaching out, doing a little more, speaking a little more truthfully, being a little more honest, um, you know, asking for 
a project that maybe is in another department that really catches your interest or, you know, renegotiating your job description. I've worked on that with many people, you know, wanting to start your own company and, and beginning to work on that on the side while you're continuing to earn your regular paycheck. These mm. are, these are some examples of things that, you know, my clients report to me kind of make them have that wiggly feeling. But again, the wiggles won't kill you. And so it really is designed to be a little bit silly so that it'll make you <laughs> laugh on purpose. Um, and it feels a lot different to your body. And, you know, when I ask my clients some of the um, things in their lives that they are most proud of, almost all of them included some version of feeling wiggly about it, you know, feeling mm -hmm. a little nervous, feeling a little anxious. And meanwhile, they're the things that are the most memorable in their, in their lives. So I actually encourage people to walk right towards the things that give them the wiggles. That's really interesting because I keep running around saying to people, because everybody seems to be in the search for equilibrium and for balance but the way that it's interpreted is sort of an emotional five. Like you're not sad, you're not happy, you're just content. And that is just not the way that I want to live my life because I want to make, I want to remember things and I want to make strong memories and be thrilled and excited. And on the flip side with that also comes the potential for disappointment. Um, but I'd much rather have it that way, right? I'm with you, Tom. You know, to me, that's what living is all about. And that's really where learning comes in. You know, even something that didn't go according to plan or something that you didn't expect, you know, that is our best opportunity to learn something. And, you know, I think that's really one of the purposes of life. I mean, to get a little esoteric, I think we should all be striving to learn until our last day. Mm. And if you aren't learning or growing in your professional career, you're probably living in a place of more of a status quo place. Mm -hmm. and you're not stretching yourself into the wiggles enough. And what you'll find is that's where a lot of extra joy and satisfaction lives. True. I mean, it, it, we must say in all fairness, it's also not for everyone. You know, not everybody needs to rise to the call of becoming the supreme leader of their environment. It's just not everybody needs to be ambitious. Not everybody has to be in that um, wiggle space. But I find the sensation very interesting um in going back to what you mentioned earlier about fear or excitement because the wiggles is something that that because it's a bodily sensation and i think it's a great tool for people just to check in with themselves to see are they present do i know where they're coming from do i enjoy where they come from meaning there's an exciting project that is lurking or do i have the wiggles because this doesn't quite sit right with me. You know, I think it's a yes. good way to sense. Or are they absent and I really want some because I'm actually really bored. So everybody out there, sense and see if you're actually standing in jello and if it's the good kind of jello that you want to be in, which <laughs> is very much um, different to a different sense that I'm sure that many people also have experienced, especially in the past two years, where personal things started to collide a lot in the home office with work and it's the sense of drowning. But take action, be the master of your own destiny, take the leap, take heart. That's the kind of morale we are about to give our audience. However, before we do so, we must acknowledge that all of that takes a lot of energy. Energy that tends to get drained quite easily if we're in the sense of of the wiggles because we are uncertain things are moving what is happening to us 
a friend of mine recently started a new job and after three weeks called me to say he had been brought to tears twice in a week, had trouble sleeping, and nobody would listen to the reasons he would put forward as to why this work environment was not conducive to his mental health. So, but, he, you know, the point of crying had already been reached. And when we are already so deep into the mess, it can be quite hard to step back and gather perspective and act strategically and decisively, either towards the wiggles or out of them. So before we advise our listeners to do just that, you know, be the master of their own destiny and take heart, um, any tips for our listeners on how they can cast a bit of shielding distance for themselves between what might be perceived as toxic culture, between an encroaching burnout to step back, think, formulate a plan? Any ways in, that you know in which people can do this? Well, first, let me say, you know, it's never okay to stay in an environment that feels um, abusive to us, whether it's from an individual or a situation. So I, I want to say that, first of all, you know, if, if something is bringing you to tears after being somewhere for only three weeks, I would really want to know, well, what's underneath those tears? Like if that person were my client, I, I would want to know what had them so upset and what was the cause of it. Typically in such a short period of time, there's something from the past that they're bringing into their current environment, whether it's trauma or it's something that, um, the person that they were interacting with reminded of that someone from their past that they were afraid of, or they haven't had appropriate boundaries. Um, it's just, it, 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 there's more, more questions to ask there. So I think that the first thing you want to do is, is make sure you're standing in your own power, meaning not just being a cowering victim of somebody else's abuse. Because if that's the case, then that's not a company to stay at or a team to stay on. Mm. And starting to look for another job immediately, I think is really critical. And there are resources for people to be able to report situations like this, and they do exist. However, you want to also look at, you know, what is it you're contributing to the situation? You know, what's your part in that? And what can you do to set boundaries? It sounds like in that particular situation, setting boundaries is really important. Now, that even itself is a bit of a buzzword, I think. And what boundaries to me really means is it's about making specific requests. So if this person was crying, I would want to know, you know, why was that? Do you know mm. what that reason was why they were crying? It was um, chaos contributed to it very greatly. So he was hired into a very, um, very disorganized team with disorganized scopes and disorganized management. And as a solution to the lack of organization, what was determined is that everything was just going to be given to uh, this person. Um, scopes that were not part of the job description, scopes that he couldn't possibly conquer because there was no proper onboarding and you've only been three weeks into the into the company. Um, and so it was just, it was a strong uh, and overpowering sense of being overwhelmed, asking for less, pushing back, setting boundaries and having them be overstepped by more phone calls, more emails and just a sense of being ignored. Yeah. So I, in that situation, I would recommend slowing way, way down and taking one thing at a time, because it sounds like that person may have also made an assumption that they have to solve all that at once in three weeks in a very short period of time when that situation probably has existed for many, many months. Mm -hmm. And 
it's also possible that that person was hired to actually improve the situation. And so they're, they're assuming that they can't make a difference and that they're powerless and that they have no choices and assuming they have no options when I think they have lots of options. So, you know, the first thing I would do in that situation is actually, you know, speak to the appropriate person, whoever that may be in their situation and be honest and say, look, here's what my expectations are when I came in and here's what I'm noticing. And while I'm open to taking this on, I would like to take several weeks to assess the situation and then come and recommend a plan and then begin to implement that plan. And by, by doing that, you kind of slow the whole situation down instead of just trying to, you know, put out the fire right in the moment and assume that it's all their responsibility when it's never one person's responsibility to fix everything. Mm. So it tells me that person may in fact have a tendency to think they have to fix everything. This is a good segue into our next and final question, actually, which is about then taking action. But I would love to stick around on this point, maybe for one more round with you. Uh, imagine you're in a situation where on day one, you arrive um, at work and your new manager says, okay, cool, here's your desk, here's your computer. Uh, tomorrow, by the way, I need to have a big presentation for the entire country um, team on Net Promoter Score which is a way to measure sort of customer satisfaction um, across all of our retail outlets. And yes, maybe you've worked with that before, but you don't know the retail landscape. You've never heard about any of the customers that are in the company and you are expected to not only put this together um, in a sage way, which preparing a workshop in one day is hard work, but also on a topic that you don't really know. Uh, and this is a non-negotiable because you've already been announced, the thing has been scheduled and it's your first day at work. What do you do? <laughs> wow, that's definitely a situation. You know, the first thing that I would do is to have an honest conversation with the manager about what's um, possible, what is actually reasonable to create under those circumstances. And so I'm a big fan of a methodology of communicating in situations like that called nonviolent communication. It, it's by um, an author named Marshall Rosenberg. He's written many, many books. I love his original book called Nonviolent Communication. And I will give you a couple of short um, summary tips about what that is. And then I add my own flavor to that. So the first thing is to make an observation. And make that observation based on an I statement, because as soon as you start saying you to someone else, they start to feel defensive. Mm. So, so for example, to say what I'm noticing is I'm feeling a bit overwhelmed by trying to create this in such a short period of time when I don't have the full landscape of the situation. And my goal is to actually create something that really helps the company and you look great in this situation. So the next piece is to state a need. And if you can state the need with something that's in it for them, you can say, you know, what I need is a really narrow focus so that I can elevate this workshop to be the next level of what you would have created on your own. Mm -hmm. What would help you feel the most comfortable? And when you start to collaborate like that, you make a request 
about what you would like to focus on, and then you get agreement. That's the fourth piece. You know, would that be okay for you, or does that work for you? Because if you can show this other person what's in it for them, Mm-hmm. By asking your questions, making those requests, and stating the needs, you are now in a place of collaboration instead of a place of complaining. And this is going to help you come up with some solutions together rather than putting it all on your back and harumphing away to your office and <laughs> feeling like you can't accomplish what was given to you. It is very easy to say, leave a place or a position that doesn't work for you. Uh, leave a company that makes you feel bad. And I don't mean periodically because stress is normal and we all sometimes don't feel great at work, but we know deep down that this is the right place for us to be. But actually going through with it and finding the courage to not only exit the job, but also face the unknown in a job market that is already quite strained at the moment, that is very much a different cup of tea. Now, we have done episodes on this show about how to orchestrate your leave from a uh, an employer in style, either to become self-employed or to find a new job, how to go about it with minimum casualties. One of my favorite ones being exit in style. Don't stay on for so long that all you can do is sort of projectile vomit onto all of the people that allegedly have caused you misery and leave a bad <laughs> Yes. Right, so before we go to scenario number two, do you maybe have one or two, three hot tips on if the moment has come and you know you have to leave, but you're really afraid to do it, um, how can you ensure that you get to leave your job and not lose your house in the process? Mm-hmm. The first tip I'll I'll give is actually even before you get to that point, which Mm -hmm. is never, never, never stop meeting new people and networking. And I say that because I see a lot of people make the mistake of waiting until they're desperate to leave a job and exhausted Mm -hmm. before they start reaching out to meet new people. When you're in a job you absolutely love, you want to still be reaching out to new people, meeting people, going to events, doing things that you enjoy. You know, people, people dread the idea of networking, and I believe you can do networking anywhere. You can do it in line at the grocery store. You can do it, you know, while you're taking an art class that you love. You know, it just means meeting people, making friends, getting to know people, going to events, getting, getting out and about. And that's, I think, a very important thing for us to all do in our career, mm. whether we're happy or not. And it that... that process never, never stops. And if you wait until it's too late, then it becomes a much different exercise. So that would, that would be number one. You know, number two, I would say is, and you implied this, is don't wait too long. Most people wait until their hair is completely on fire and they can't take another minute of it. This is when a lot of people call me (laughs) and I often will tell them, take off their shoes so they don't walk into their boss's office and do it right this second. Because it's never a good idea to give your notice or to make that decision from an emotional place. You want to make that decision from a place of clarity. And if you wait until you're so emotionally distraught, um, it's going to go downhill from there. So even when you start to get those inklings that it might be time to move on, 
first assess, well, why is that? Mm -hmm. And it's not just about, you know, what we've been talking about today around toxic culture or supposed toxic culture, I would say, but what if it's just because you're bored? Like, what if it's because you're not challenged and you're dragging yourself to work because you're not feeling, you know, excitement for what you're working on, or you're not feeling inspired, you know, there's, there's an opportunity to renegotiate. So, you know, if you wait so long that you're, you're, you're ready to walk out the door, take the risk, you know, months before that and talk to your boss or your supervisor or your teammates about how you can reorganize things, renegotiate things so that you can do something that inspires you or that you enjoy or that you're learning or that's a new area. You know, I see most people just basically stay silent for way, way too long until Mm. they literally have no choice but to, you know, crawl out the door. Which, Which makes you feel like you have actually been ejected by yes. the company or the building or the organization. We talk about this when we talk about sort of mental attitude towards um, going into an interview because you think that you're on the witness stand and you're being vetted and assessed and probed and prodded. But actually, you are entitled to do the exact same thing during an interview. It's not only for them to see you, it is also for you to see them and to determine, is this a good place for me? So this has a lot to do with self-worth remembering it reminding yourself of it and when you feel it is being diminished and crushed really and earnestly looking is it because i'm really not good enough which if you're in the wrong job and you say this just this is not for me because it doesn't match my skill set completely fair or is there something at play here that i have no control over but that makes me deeply uncomfortable and am i actually willing to also call it for what it is a bad match and a bad fit um, and go. But we believe, at least on this show, that we can't really, we will, might have this impulse to just sort of throw in the towel and exit because things are getting dicey. But you mentioned this a couple of times now. Why not seek that conversation? If you know that the end is in sight and if you do nothing, inevitably you're going to suffer an exit, you might as well rip off the bandaid now and see what is what and exposing things for what they are. But this is easier said than done. So, a second scenario if you will, that I would love for you to model for us on how to broach a conversation like this. So imagine you have, you're working for a um, management that is not a good personality fit. That doesn't mean you can't communicate, but it means that there's no easy click. You feel like you have to very statically um, uh, give information to this person and ensure that they actually understand it. Now, that is hurdle number one, personality misfit. Hurdle number two is you know that this person is already under duress and stress because they've sort of lost control over their department and you're getting a big chunk of that, uh, of the fallout, of the dis- of the chaos, the disorganization. You're the new person. You haven't been tapped out yet like an empty battery lying somewhere in, the, in a um, car side door. This is the person that has the power that you need to talk to in order to reorchestrate and reorganize your scope. You've got 10 things that you're supposed to deliver by the end of the week. This was requested by you verbally. You don't have the tools to do any of them properly, and you feel like anything you touch, you will fail at. Now, how do you prep for a conversation like this? What do you say Mm -hmm. when you know that the stakes are already high, you're still new, you might feel slightly dispensable? 
and you really want to keep the job because the company looks good in your CV. So how do we give okay. this our best shake to really see, can we turn this around before we then determine to go? Well, the first thing I would recommend is remember that this other person is a human being. That means they have their own concerns, their own bills to pay, their own fears, their own um, worries about mm -hmm. their own jobs. So recognize that they're not just this big, bad meanie. They <laughs> are a human being and they have feelings too. And when we, when we can balance the fact that we're human and they're human, we already start to see them in a different light. Um, that would be the first thing. The other thing that I think is most important in preparing for that conversation is get really clear what's most important to them. I think we all make a lot of assumptions about what we think are important to our managers. Mm. And it it's not out of line to ask what's most important to them. What are their, what's their number one goal? And, and to even ask, how can you help them achieve their number one goal? To have someone actually come to them and ask that, it's actually quite disarming to a manager and mm -hmm. it makes them stop in their tracks, especially when you remember they too are a human being. And this now creates a lot more synergy because, you know, even if you have different personalities, you can still relate to each other as human beings and being willing to really, really listen for what they're saying and even what they're not saying, like what's between the lines and be a, an excellent, excellent listener. And then focus your time and energy on helping them achieve their number one goals. So putting yourself into the shoes of the other i think this takes a lot of courage to do um and a lot of class because you do feel like you're being hurt by somebody or not even somebody but by the institution that that they represent companies have this strange way about them don't they that they become people like the company that you work for is almost like becoming a person with with yeah interests. yeah it, it gets um, sort of globalized yeah. and and that's why we forget that you know that's why even the idea of toxic culture you know like a company is made up of individual people mm -hmm. and okay, maybe there's one person that's a rude, has a rude behavior that they exhibit at times, but we don't want to forget that what we're dealing with is human beings. And the more we can relate to each other as human beings, even if we have different personalities, um, the better this kind of conversation is going to go. Oh, delightful delicious look we've <laughs> come to the end of this episode already which i don't know where the time went which is quite perplexed but we always and i didn't mention this in the beginning because we have been doing so for 39 episodes already and i thought maybe i switch it up but now i miss it we like to end every episode with you know maybe the two or three things that any of our guests really really want the audience to take to heart something very practical something that they can implement once they are finished um listening today around the sense of being in an environment that doesn't make you feel good about seeking these challenging conversations about finding ways either the bravery the right strategy or the right moment to leave a job that isn't right so uh -huh. if we didn't do this podcast at all and we didn't do this episode together and you only had, let's say, three to five minutes to talk to our audience about the things that you really, really wish they would remember and take to heart to live a happier, more fulfilled life and, uh, and, and uh, work life, 
what would those two to three things be? Well, the, the first thing is to really take responsibility for your own part in whatever's happening. Whatever your discontent is, whatever the lack of communication is, whatever the, um, you know, habits and patterns you may have, take mm -hmm. responsibility for your part. It always takes two to tango. I know that's a, a silly <laughs> metaphor, but <laughs> you know great. what? It, it, it's true. And take responsibility for your part. Um, and, and that's not about blaming yourself. That's really just about, you know, owning what you can work on, what mm. you can be braver about doing, which actually leads me to my second point, which is really a summary of what we've talked about, which is to speak your truth, do it with grace and style, always be professional, but waiting for someone else to guess what's on your mind or read your mind or to, to pick up your subtle nonverbal cues, it, it's not going to happen. You <laughs> have to take responsibility. <laughs> to pick up on your subtle nonverbal cues. I love it. Because we all, we all do that, don't we? It's like, how didn't you see that I was so terribly offended? It's like, I didn't even look at you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Sorry for interrupting oh. you, but it's just too good. Okay, go on. I love that you're laughing about that. Another <laughs> one is to... Stop comparing yourself to anyone else. I see this trip people up so much and is one of the biggest career mistakes mm. that I see. You know, there's only one you and we all have our own pathway, our own journey. Put some blinders on, you know, like the horses do in the horse races and don't <laughs> worry about what everybody else is doing. Do the things you want to do. Whatever level you're interested in growing and learning, what place you want to get to. You said earlier, Tom, about not everybody is in a place of a lot of ambition. That's okay. This can be about your personal life. This can be about having a job that really brings you joy and that feels mm. easy because you actually have time and energy left over at the end of the day to go spend with your family or your partner right. or something yeah. like that. Um, the, the third thing I want to mention is that <laughs> I see that a lot of people use very, very robust creative writing skills. I'm going to say it that way. Creative <laughs> writing skills to make up what they think is happening or what they think will happen in the future that is not based on any facts. Mm. And we need to put away those creative writing skills. And if we have an urge for creativity, go use it to take a class in writing, but stop using that skill to literally dream up stuff that hasn't happened or will never happen. <laughs> okay. This is brilliant. <laughs> Honestly, mm, do we just publish those three minutes? We had a great time with the rest too, but I just, I can't with the writing skills. Uh, Barb, thank you so much for making us laugh because it really is quite a dire topic. And I think more people than, um, more people are in a predicament like this uh, than we think. And I think there is a much, there's a very large proportion of them out there as well that don't even notice that they are slowly bending themselves out of shape. And it's, it's, it's a tough topic and it's happening in my personal environment as we speak. So thank you very much, especially for walking us through those, um, through those modeling, these conversations for us that are so difficult to, to have by ourselves. And thank you so much for being on the show with us. 
Uh, thanks for having me, Tom. I, I really appreciate it, and no problem. And listen, I just want to make one more point, which is what you said. Thank you for making making us laugh. That's exactly the point. And as you could tell, I'm a little flip about some of the metaphors that I use. <laughs> but you know what? We have to laugh. We have to laugh at what's happening. We have to laugh in a in a loving way at our own humanity of the the funny and sometimes silly and you know humorous things that we do so never you lose your sense of humor even in situations like this hey 